Hi, I'm Krishna Das, and this is uh, Musicians on the Record. So, hit it. Welcome to Musicians on the Record. I'm David Ward. This is the show where we bring you the musician's story. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I am really excited on the show today, Krishna Das on Musicians on the Record. We are blending East and West today on the show with Krishna Das, Grammy-nominated singer Krishna Das. It was so cool to be able to meet with him in person, actually, when he came to his concert in Portland, Maine. We were able to arrange a sit-down interview, which was just really very cool to be able to meet with him, talk with him about his music story, everything he's been through, and really just the music he's putting out in the world. If you'd like to see the interview, you can do so as well as the audio podcast that lives on our YouTube page, Facebook, and our website at Musicians on the Record. If you're back with us, welcome back, and if you're joining us for the first time today, welcome to you, and I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast because we are so fortunate to be able to talk with so many incredible musicians, and we're bringing their stories to you. We'd love to hear from you wherever you're listening from in the world, and let us know which musician story you'd most love to hear, and we will do our best to bring it to you. But for today, we have an incredible musician. He's been called the rock star of yoga and the Bruce Springsteen of Kirtan. Krishna Das is on the record. Welcome I feel bad for Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think you're up there, though, so that's oh, okay. very cool. Yeah. yeah, Thank you so much for making the time and being Thank on you. the show. Thank really you. Appreciate it. Uh, you just had a birthday a few days ago. Yeah. Happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah, I look good for 105. You, you look fantastic. It's yeah. all of that meditation yeah, and the guru. So. It's wonderful, right? Yeah. So I was actually curious about, you're 71 now. Yeah. How has music evolved for you? Where is music at for you today at 71? Oh, wow. Well, I still enjoy listening to music, you know, all kinds of music. Uh, I'm back into Nirvana again last oh. week or two. April. Blast in the car. Yeah. But um, as far as the playing of music and making music or participating in that, it's really changed a lot over the years. <clears throat> um, it's become like a river that flows in instead of out you know it's so when I start singing uh, I can start flowing into that inner space inner, inner peace inner presence and uh, I do it so often that it kind of works mm. which is uh, was quite unexpected yeah I didn't. I didn't really believe that anything would work for me, especially. But uh, it works. It definitely. Uh, it's become a meditation, but not not the kind of meditation that you have to sit still and uh, pretend that you're not thinking. You know, 
But it's not like that at all. It's it's very deep and uh, natural uh, practice for me. You know, your music is both peaceful and comforting. I find it very comforting, parts of it. Yeah. And then parts of it is this emotional, passionate build Mm -hmm. of the the Hindu prayers or devotional. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when did you first learn this way of music? You don't learn. You you don't learn this. Uh, You you don't learn to fall in love. You just fall. So it's just, you know, and when I first heard it in India, her, her chanting in India, <clears throat> I, I knew that this was something that I could really give myself to. Mm. You know, it wasn't, uh, well, maybe I should try that. It was like, whoa, this, I could really jump into this. And uh, at that time, I wasn't planning to come back to America. I was in India for the, the duration. You were staying. Yeah. yeah. So I wasn't collecting stuff to bring back to use for anything. You right. Know? right. So it was a very simple and necessary uh, movement on my part into the chanting. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so the, the practice, the, the ability to really give ourselves completely something is a, is a big thing. Uh, that's one side of it. The other side is, what are you giving yourself to? Mm-hmm. So some people can give themselves to a baseball game or sports or anything. Yeah. But it just so happens that this practice is a is in a, uh, thousands of years old at the very least, and it's about uh, uncovering the art the true nature within us, who we really are, mm-hmm. underneath, you know, all the programs and all the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves that we don't like and then react and tell more stories. It's about uncovering that. So through the repetition of these, what they call in India, these names, these holy or divine or sacred names or sounds, mm-hmm. uh, gradually but inevitably that place inside us comes up. It's, it's uncovered. And these are names of deities sometimes? Well, yes, but you know, what are deities? Mm-hmm. I mean, we use words that we don't even know, not you, but everybody, yeah, yeah. we use words we don't know what they mean. Sure. Right. You know, when you when you fall in love with somebody, you bring them to mind, uh, you, you feel them, you feel the flow of love towards that being and from that being, that person, and uh, their real name is their essence, in a sense. So these these beings are are uh, they're like us, but they're not like us. They're 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 beings like us, but they are no longer. Uh, they're freed of all the, uh, the negativity and limitation. Mm. So when we bring these beings to mind, just uh, we we can eventually feel uh, a, a different kind of sense sensation inside and some of this from reading about you the movie the documentary that i saw which is one track heart if you don't know look it up and watch it it's great um some of this is from your trip to india and your guru it all comes from that it all comes from that you know can you talk about the feeling that you had Initially, when you met him, and, and or maybe that you still have. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's something that gets deeper all the time. 
Well, the feeling I had, of course, when I first felt him was that this was home. This was this was real life. You know, I grew up on Long Island, and not much is real there. But and I I suffered a lot as a, as a kid because I I didn't fit in anywhere. Even though inside I felt that way, even though outside it was you know I made do as best I could. But uh, yeah, uh, when I when I met Ninkuroli Baba, who we call him Maharaji, that was that was it. Next, you know, that was yeah, that was. Yeah, and I did. I met him before. I met him physically. I met him when I met Ramdas for the first time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ramdas had just come back from India, and he was upstate, uh, up in New Hampshire, and uh, actually from here, it's over in New Hampshire. Down, yeah, down, yeah. down in New Hampshire. Yeah. So uh, when I went to see him, I walked into the room where he was sitting, without a word being spoken or anything. I knew inside. All of a sudden, I knew. That whatever it was I was looking for was real, mm-hmm. and this was a big thing because, you know, you can read a few books. This was the '60s. You can read yeah. a few books on this stuff, yeah. but they're books. Right. You know, anybody can write a book, right. and they can say anything. Sure. Mm-hmm. So even though those books affected me very deeply, like uh, Autobiography of a Yogi and Gospel of Ramakrishna and Zen and Japanese culture. Uh, here I walked into the room and I felt it. I felt that this stuff was real. You could find it, and it was in the world. And that was a life-changing moment. So you felt it from him, and you wanted some of what he had. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, I kind of hung out with him for a couple of years, and by then I realized that it was coming through him. Uh, it wasn't him and his personality. It was actually coming through him. He was a channel for that. And what was coming through him was Neem Kuroli Baba. So that's, I decided to go meet the old man. And, and why music, KD? I don't know. Yeah. It had to be something, and um, ballet wasn't really my thing. <laughs> you gave it a try, but I guess it didn't I mean, work I out. My, yeah. my toes hurt. You know? right. Painful. Well, I'd always, I'd, music had always been important for me, you know, ever since I was a kid. My mother used to sing to me, my father used to sing to me. Yeah. I used to make up songs on the way to school. Oh, the sky and the birds and the trees and the leaves and the bugs and this, you know. I was singing like the day as it, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it was always very important to me. And then when I first heard rock and roll, you know, that was, mm. that was it. You know, I mean, this was now. When I was about 10 years old, I had an older friend mm-hmm. who had all this stack of records, you know, old doo-wop records and everything. It was, mm-hmm. And I heard Bill Haley and the Comets, Little Anthony and the Imperials, Lee Andrews and the Hearts, Smokey and the Miracles, the Platters. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, oh, my God. And then that just grew and grew and grew, and then folk music and then the blues. And it was the blues that really got me mm-hmm. more than anything before. Yeah, blues is great, right? And it was first. It was country blues, Mississippi John Hurt, uh-huh. uh, Skip James, wow. you know, John Hammond Jr. Yeah. Wow. The, the, you know, I wanted to be him. Yeah. I was a white guy, but I mm-hmm. wanted to be. I wanted the blues to be. Yeah. I wanted to be that. Yeah. So. And were you playing anything? Guitar. I was playing guitar, guitar at the time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you, you know, your voice is really powerful. I think it's really moving. When did you? You, you talked about singing as a kid. 
When did you first though start singing and go, oh, this is an actual instrument too that I can use? Uh, what time is it? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I just started singing. I didn't really. Uh, I just sing. I don't really think about it so much. You know, uh, I need to sing. Yeah. It's what I need. It's like breathing for me. If I don't sing, I sink. But I used to sing with the Kirtan Wallace, the chanters in, in the temple where I used to stay. <clears throat> and uh, there was one group of guys that I really enjoyed singing with. There were three of them. Their leader was the harmonium player. And he looked like a truck driver. He was rough, he was tough, and uh, he didn't like me at all. <laughs> and then the other two guys, there was the, the, the drummer sat there and the cymbal player sat here. So the truck driver would start a new melody, and then the drummer would answer, and then the cymbal player would come back to the truck driver, around and around and around. So it started out that I, was, I would sit on the other side of the room, you know, and sing along. But after a while, they kind of invited me to their circle. So I sat right here next to the cymbal player. And these melodies were really difficult. So I would just try to mimic everything he sang, you know, because I didn't know this stuff was really hard. So one day, the truck driver starts a melody. Now, when I wake up in the morning, my voice is... <laughs> and over the course of the day, it kind of comes up to where human beings can actually hear it. These guys wake up in the morning, and it's up from there. It's insane. It's impossible. It has, I, it's so hard to sing along with these guys, but that's what they do. So, anyway, so then the, the truck driver started this melody, like, you know. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. I broke out into a sweat. How am I going to do this? You know. And that was just the first like three words. You know, the thing went on for twenty minutes each line. So it went around a couple of times, and I, I, I just listened to my buddy here. You know. It was, it was, it was, and I went, <laughs> so I had my eyes closed. It came around to my turn, and I went, Hare! And he had gotten up to go take a piss. And I was left alone with this. And it was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? So you have to, I finished the line, the only time that that truck driver ever talked to me was right after I finished that line. <laughs> he looked over at me and he goes, nice. <laughs> if he had said anything else, I guarantee you I would not be here today. <laughs> so we're going to sing one of those melodies. Don't worry, anything that comes into this, no matter how difficult it is, it comes out very simple. There's no option. You know, your, your movie, 
touched me in a way. It's very powerful uh, because for me as a therapist and a coach, I help a lot of folks with depression, recovery from addiction mm -hmm. stuff. And I thought it was very brave and uh, strong and vulnerable mm -hmm. that you shared a lot of your story around that. I wonder, can you talk a little bit about how you feel like music helps and heals with that? <clears throat> well, this there's two things. There's music, and then there's, uh, I don't even know what to call it. Uh, let's say chanting, mm -hmm. just for the sake of having to call it something. Sure. So the chanting has music in it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully the music is pleasant mm -hmm. and will grab our attention. Mm -hmm. But what we're chanting are these mantras, you know, which are, come from the East either Buddhist mantras or Hindu mantras or Sufi or even Christian mantras in English. So the music helps us pay attention and but it's the that's the syrup that the medicine of these names are is is held held in. It's the syrup that holds the medicine. It's not the syrup that cures you, it's the syrup that makes you take the, the medicine because it's sweet and it hides the medicine and by taking the medicine, you're cured of your disease. Mm -hmm. The music itself is not enough. I mean, I love music, but if, if music was enough, yeah. every musician would be happy. Right. And that is not the case, right. unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So the music just naturally, for me, you know, and, and the same, the chord progressions are all basically from rock and roll, you know. So yeah. it's what I grew up with this is what moved me the most and saved me during a very, my difficult period of time. Mm -hmm. um, but in this case, it is the mantras of the, the name that, that plants seeds of opening that stay with us. It, they plant seeds within our life stream within our mind stream within our heart stream and those seeds uh, will grow the music might pass away and disappear but the seeds that we plant stay there and this those seeds and are open us up the things that open us and allow us to um, to to uh, free ourselves little by little from all those negative stories and behaviors that that uh, we, we love so much. <laughs> kind of chips away at that, or it kind of melts them away a little bit. They become things become a little bit. You don't really notice it necessarily directly, but over time, if you look at your life, you might notice that you spend less and less time in those heavier negative states of mind, and you think, "Wait a minute." I used to be fucked up, you know, what is this? I don't care, it doesn't bother me so much anymore. Mm -hmm. And you don't necessarily know how it happens, but it happens. Yeah. You spend less time giving yourself a hard time and suffering from that. Do you have a favorite mantra or name that you call that brings you more peace than others? No, they're all, for me, they're all the same. Yeah. For me, they're all, you know, it's, it's just, you know, when the newer chants maybe for a while you kind of get off on them more because they're like, hey, you yeah. know. But I sing when I, every, when I sing with people, I sing, I don't really have a set list, but I'll sing whatever comes into my mind. Mm -hmm. And it kind of, it, it morphs slowly over mm -hmm. time. It doesn't change a lot day, night to night. Okay. But over a year, you know, my, now I start, I'm started singing stuff I haven't sung for years. All right. Yeah. yeah. 
It's crazy. I don't know. And your latest album, Trust in the Heart, mm-hmm. is that the same way that you record as you're playing live, sort of making that up, or you have an idea of what you want to create? Well, if you're going to go in the studio, you should, and you don't have billions of dollars, you should, yeah. you should have some idea what you want to do right, right. and with whom you want to do it. Yeah. So, yeah, it takes a little planning. But the recording itself, we've been doing them live in the studio lately, mm-hmm. which is with the band all sitting together in one room. And we can hear each other and see each other. And, uh, uh, and the chorus is in another room behind a, a glass wall because that would leak too much. Sure. So then we just play and sing. And, uh, you know, Jay Messina is one of the greatest engineers in the world. And he, we've been working together for a long time. And uh, actually, I owe him a phone call. And uh, he just gets the sound. And then we, I go to his house and we mix and mix and mix until it sounds like the way we want it to sound. That's terrific. You're obviously on tour because we're in South Portland, Maine right I'm now. I'm always on tour. You're always on tour. I uh, tour from my bathroom to my bedroom. I can't even figure <laughs> out what's going on. Where are you going after this? You talked about traveling. Yeah, I'm going off to Hong Kong, Japan, Australia, and New Zealand. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Can you talk about, you mentioned your band. Can you talk about what you love about them as musicians, as people? Well... I've been thinking about getting a bunch of computer programs, replacing the whole bunch of them, but they don't. It wouldn't eat as much, and right, right. easier to carry around. Sure. No, it's been great. You know, there's never been an idea of having one band, but over the over a period of time, the same, the usual suspects kept showing up. Yeah. And uh, for a long time, this guy Ty Burho was playing with me. It was just me and Ty on the road. Uh, Ty is Zakir Hussein's premier Western student, yeah, Tablo student. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he was killing his hands because he was playing so hard with mm-hmm. me. So he wanted to go back to Indian classical music. So he introduced me to Arjun, who was one of his students. And uh, he's gotten to be a very good Tablo player over the years, especially in this style. He's not a classical Indian Tablo player, mm-hmm. but he's a punk drummer who plays Tablo very well. Great. And that works fine. I love me. it. Great. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and uh, I have these two bass players I usually work with, uh, Mark Gorman on the West Coast and for a lot of touring, and Mark Egan on the East Coast. And those guys are fantastic. And then uh, David Nickturn comes and plays guitar with me, and he's a, a Buddhist meditation teacher and a great songwriter and guitar player. Mm-hmm. And um, Genevieve Walker is just re- semi-retired with her second baby. She's taken a long leave, uh, plays violin. And now lately, Noah Huffield plays, Huffield plays with me by uh, cello. So that's, that's, and Nina Rao plays cymbals and sings. So that, that's the band. And unfortunately, you know, like I'm going, I'm just going with the drummer to, to the East because she, I you know, can't afford taking a band. Sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I miss out on that. Sure. Hard to do the tour bus around. We that. did a few tour buses in New York and yeah. I mean in the States and yeah. uh, it was fun, but it was rough. Yeah. From your movie I remember hearing you say the, the tour bus did not have the complete facilities. Uh, no, it had the facilities, but you were not allowed to poop in the toilet because uh there was some connection with the air conditioning or something, <laughs> okay. some crazy thing like that. So 
The scene in the movie was great. That guy, Denny, was such a great guy. He happens to be like a phenomenal musician and piano really? player. Really? He played with us one concert with Burma up on stage. Awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. I love that. I yeah. love that part of the movie. The other part of the movie that I was blown away with, and I'd like your confirmation on, was... You know, I, I see you doing this kind of music and the meditation, but it wasn't always that way. You, what was your involvement with, you were almost a member in Blue Oyster Cult? I was at Stony Brook, and I had a friend who was an art major and also into music who met some younger guys, high school kids, I think, in Stony Brook, who were learning how to play their instruments and want to have a band. And so my friend knew that I could sing, so he put us together, and we, we played together a few times, but, you know, they were just starting to smoke, and I was just finishing with it, and so, and I was kind of crazy. They were crazy, too, but yeah. I was also crazy. So it just kind of, and then I left school and went went off somewhere else, uh, and then uh, so about three years later or two years later, I came. I was going to live with Ramdas for the summer. Mm. I had met him while I was living up in New Paltz, and uh, I came to down to. St- I I left my house. So I packed everything up, put it in my car, two dogs and a cat. In the car. In the car, and all my worldlies. <laughs> yeah. And. I drove back to Stony Brook from upstate New York for Jimi Hendrix concert. And then after the concert, I was going to drive up to see Ramdas in New Hampshire because he was expecting me. So after the concert, and the, the guys in the band don't really know this except when I talk about it because they didn't know. Sandy Perlman, who was the producer who brought the Clash over and produced a couple of their, he was their manager and producer. Uh, he came over and asked me if I'd come back to the band because the guy who replaced me couldn't sing in the studio and they had a record cut and they had a tour arranged and no singer. Wow. So he asked me and I said, well, you know, this was my dream. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I just moved out of my house and Ramdas was expecting me. And truthfully, what I was feeling from my connection with Ramdas was you couldn't compare it even to my own dreams. It was beyond my own dreams. Yeah. So I, I, I couldn't say yes. Yeah. And uh, later they became the Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah, so your dream changed. At that point, they were, they were the soft white underbelly. So, were they? Yeah, they were. <laughs> I had to ask that question, because as a drummer, I need more cowbell. So, yeah, thank yeah, you well, for There's plenty you. of cowbell in that right, band. Exactly, yeah. You know, the other part that I, I loved, part of your career, nominated for a Grammy, and I've heard you in other interviews talk about the process of playing at the Grammys, not all that, but the way you combine the East-West. Anybody who does the chanting and includes the Yardbirds for your love is yeah. good with me. So <laughs> how did you come up with that? You know, believe me, I wish I could say I, I, I thought about I, I thought it up, but it just came out in, in, in soundcheck. Really? Yeah, wow. just happened. Amazing. Yeah. Just, I went, wow, you know, those chords, that's yeah. like, wow, I could sing that. And I sang it, and that was it, and it worked. That's pretty much how a lot happens. It just kind of comes through. I don't I don't sit down to make a chant to write something. Usually I'll either be, I'll wake up in the middle of the night singing something that I don't recognize, or I'll be in the car and I'm singing something, and I go like, oh, what's that? Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, it's more like downloading than, than creating. Do you use that a lot, recorded into your phone? So sure, I have like 300 audio memos in there, which I've never listened to, of new tunes. Right. You know, so the latest someday, record coming soon. On the the latest 20 records. Right. I have no idea what's in there. Right. Someday I should go back and listen. Right. Just on the way down here, something happened. Right. I don't remember what it was now. Uh, amazing. 
What's the feeling, if if any, that you want people to feel with your music? Well, I I I'd like people to feel uh, empowered to use the practice for themselves to un- to feel that this is a way of touching a deeper place inside. And because if they feel that, they'll do it, and then that will help them, not for any other reason, because it helped me. It helps me. So when I sing, I'm sharing my practice with people. I'm not. There's no. I'm not trying to get people off. I'm not trying to give them any kind of experience. I am trying to enter that inner chamber, that inner presence, more deeply myself. So, and I'm trying to enter into that love within, so to speak. So. I think people seem to taste that, get a taste of that, and, and then hopefully they'll remember that next time they feel bad and they'll sing a little bit, chant a little bit, and it might help them feel better. Certainly can maybe bring us more to our authentic self. Sure. That That's what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Can you say what Krishna Das means? Well, Krishna in India is one of the forms of God, and Das means servant. And Das, the Das uh, lineage is, a, is the lineage of Hanuman, the monkey god, who is the servant of Ram, who is one of the avatars, one of the, in the mythology or the legends, more, more accurately, of India. There's the Krishna legend, the Ram legend, the, the different incarnations. So in the legend of Ram, Hanuman is a very big player. He's, um, in fact, he gets... He he's always he he serves completely. He overcomes all obstacles. He destroys all the bad guys, and he never ever thinks that he's the doer. Mm. He un, he he's experiencing reality, even while he's in motion. He's experiencing stillness, even while he's doing. He's experiencing uh, the one who's doing through him rather than and so there's no ego or pride arising so he's the, called the perfect servant but he's also the connection between the atman the soul the particular individual so-called soul and the supreme soul he's the one that connects us back up with that that um, supreme being that our true nature amazing and you know i've noticed there's a lot of red in the tradition this this fits very well in maine by the way yeah, this is excellent this, but but it's more than that right this is yeah, well, part my, of the tradition well I, I there was a period i was having a very hard time and i was actually having a nervous breakdown and i was actually thinking about killing myself and maharaji uh, kind of uh, what's the word he he un he undid what I was thinking. He, he kind of he really saved my ass. And and after that time, he said to me, you know, you wear red, you're Hanuman, and you have to wear red. And so he had me dye everything I had red. So then when I came back to the states, uh, you know, I just thought, okay, plaid is okay. Yeah. So but as long as it has some red in it, it'll work for me. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. The harmonium. Hmm. It's a beautiful instrument, it's a, a little unusual instrument. When did you first pick that up, and do you do you know how to play it, or do you just... Once you, again, you know, it, don't give me credit where there's no credit due. <laughs> uh, I was singing with my little 
one string uh, ektara, yeah. which is like a drone, like okay. a rhythmic drone. Yeah. But too many people were coming and it wasn't loud enough. So I had to find something louder. And also, I like chord changes, I, and I know Westerners like. So I had a harmonium around, and it's just a regular keyboard, but you play with one hand and pump with the other, so that's good, because I can't play with my left hand. So, so you know, I just started picking out some simple chords and melodies and for the chants I was doing, and, you know, that's the deal. I can't play Indian music. Indian music is a, is a whole discipline in itself. Wonderful discipline, but it's... I don't, I'm too busy chanting. It's very complicated music, very, right? It's, yes. it's very complicated in terms of very dis- particular yes. ways to play certain notes and certain scales at certain times of day. It's a very yeah. deep, yeah. deep study. Yeah. And plans to go back to India? I'm always planning to go back to India at one point or other. I was just there last October, and yeah. maybe yeah. soon. Yeah. Yeah. You also do the uh, very cool YouTube series called Chai and Chat. Chai and Chat, yeah, yeah, that's fun. Tell me about that. Well, you know, I like meeting people and talking with people, and so because we had so many hits on our YouTube channel, I think it was, they give us free time at the YouTube studios in New York. Wow. So uh, we decided, and they have a set that's like a diner. Yes. So we decided to just have some chai, some tea, and some talk, some chat. That's fantastic. Yeah, tea and talk or chai and chat. So I didn't realize that was the YouTube studio. It's I the YouTube studio. No, no, it's oh. YouTube studios. That's great. My kitchen looks a little different. <laughs> that might be more intimate not though. Enough, your kitchen, right? Not enough room. Yeah, that's great. But it was very nice. It's it's fun to do it, and we just it, you know we just we send out a, uh, an email and people sign up and they come. And that's the deal. It doesn't cost anything. It's yeah. just, Amazing. Yeah. And you will ask questions, talk about spirituality, life issues. We just share space and whatever yeah. comes up. Yeah. One day he was walking down the street and he saw an old man sitting on the side of the road teaching the rules of Sanskrit grammar to a group of young students. And he could see that this old guy was uh, going to die soon. And that also he'd never done anything to help himself. He'd never done any kind of practice and never really looked at his stuff, you know. So out of compassion, he went up to him and he said, Oh, my friend, Bhaja Govinda. Bhaja Govinda. Bhaja means to sing, to praise, to remember. And Govinda is the name of God. So it basically is telling this guy to get his shit together because he was out here. <laughs> So that night he went home to his place and he wrote a beautiful hymn that he called Bajagovinda. And each verse described the ways that we just let our lives go by. We never pay attention, we never wake up, we never do what's in our own best interest. And at the end of each verse, the chorus went, Oh my foolish mind or foolish heart, Bajagovinda. Right? He was singing to his own mind, his own heart. So, you know, I, I've listened to this hymn for years and years, and I always thought it would be great to rewrite it with modern images, you know, like TV, <laughs> iPhone. This is how I waste my time, you know. But it's just too long, and, and I'm too lazy, so then it can happen. <laughs>
So instead, I wrote a couple of new verses in English, and I'm going to sing them for you. <clears throat> and then we're going to sing Rade Rade Govinda, Raja Govinda. Tell you a funny story, though. So I told this little spiel that I just gave you. When I first wanted to sing this with people, I was a little nervous, and I, so I introduced it like this. And later on, a friend of mine was sitting, who was sitting in the audience, she said, when I, when I said that these verses were in English, the guy next to her went, Ah, I didn't come here for this. <laughs> Is that fantastic or what? <laughs> I love that stuff. But let's think about that just for a second, right? What is it that the guy didn't come there for? English, right? He wanted to sing some foreign words that he had no goddamn idea what they meant. From now until forever, and he didn't care. But English is, the, for most of us, is the language that we talk to ourselves in, mm -hmm. that we tell ourselves stories about ourselves that we don't like, and we don't stop. So he just wanted to get away from all that. So I respect that, but too bad, right? <laughs> you talked about in your movie one of the biggest things that helped you near the end of the movie, the revelation of being a drop in the ocean versus the ocean. If I got something that right, like something that. like that, yeah. my, my paraphrasing. Yeah. How is that practice going for you? Well, it's not so much a practice as it, it's, a, it's a realization. Like you said, you know, once you see something, you can't uh, forget that you've seen it. Or once you've experienced something, and I had an experience where... I recognize that I might think I'm a wave, mm -hmm. but even so, it, the wave itself is made up of nothing but ocean mm -hmm. of water. So the wave is me, me, the wave is a concept, it's a thought, mm -hmm. but actually, the thought is just, doesn't really apply to anything because the wave isn't really separate. Mm -hmm. And that wave is created by certain forces, in this case, maybe the wind, right? So but that's karma. So our karmas create this temporary but, sep temporary but illusory mm -hmm. sense of separateness, like the wave is separate from the ocean. It's a different thing. But the reality, which is from underneath, is that there's no difference between ocean and wave. And even if you're temporarily identify with being a wave, you're still the ocean, even if you forget. So that realization really was powerful for me because I realized it was okay to be stupid and think that I, maybe sometimes think that I'm the one doing this. It's because I had quit chanting mm -hmm. I, because I felt I wasn't qualified, I, because I was a hungry guy and I was going to use the energy and the love and the attention coming towards me mm -hmm. to feed those hungry desires, which was not why I started chanting. I started chanting to reconnect with Maharaji, to reconnect with that deeper place within. And I was going to fuck it up because there was no option. That's what I would do. Hungry people eat. Right. So I just said, I just quit. And I said to Maharaji, who had been dead about 30 years at that point, I said, I ain't chanting anymore. I'm finished. I quit. You Either you fix this or I don't sing. Mm -hmm. Got it? 
Well, he tortured me. I went to India. For three months I was there, and every day I wake up and I go, you haven't done anything. What's the deal? I told you, I'm not singing until you fix this. See, the thing is, I was in terrible despair because the only thing that I could do to save my miserable ass, I was being prevented from doing by my own stuff. And there's no way I could change that. It was me that was the problem. How do you change that? So it had to come from him, who is, because in my understanding and experience, he's always present. He's he's always with me. And uh, so I just said to him, "Listen, I need to sing. I want to sing, but I'm not going to sing until you fix this. That's the deal." So. It's a long story, but anyway, it, cul- it culminated in the, an experience of which the part, that ocean and wave thing was a part, where I s- realized that even when I don't know, even when I think I'm a wave, it's the ocean anyway. So that freed me to come back and sing, even if I was being stupid and thinking it was about me, which doesn't happen that much because of that grace that gave me that experience in the first place. Sure. In, in maybe the West, we call that the letting go of ego, dissolution of ego, or minimizing You know, asking the ego to kill the ego right. is like asking the thief to be the policeman. There will be a lot of investigation, <laughs> but no arrest will ever be made. So the ego has to be uh, dissolved through spiritual practice and grace also. Yeah. And, and in its proper perspective, or right, right place maybe, right? Yeah, I mean, we need ego. Ego is, yeah. we need the kind of ego that wants to help people, serve people. We need compassion and kindness and caring. We need peace of mind and we need happiness. Those things, those are in a sense all our own experience of deeper realities and uh, people have the wrong idea they think that they have to kill the ego and then nothing There's, they think that it's a misunderstanding that shunya or emptiness is nothingness my good friend and dear dear friend Bob Thurman he's very clear on that that, that nowhere is there nothing mm. There, nothing is nothing. There's no nothing anywhere. So it, it's not that there's nothing there. It's just that there's no uh, limitation on the heart. And there's joy, endless joy and, and peace and, and compassion too. So what we need to do is, is stop thinking about ourselves all the time, which is a very difficult thing to do. But I think the chanting practice is something that trains us and can actually release us from that, those obsessive stories that we were so good at. Right. We can certainly come up with stories. Right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Lastly, because I know you've got a performance to do, um, you've been through a lot in your life musically and just life-wise. For someone out there that might be struggling or wants to follow in some of your footsteps with music, what advice would you give them? I always tell them, don't, don't quit your day job. You know. Yeah. You know how you call a musician in New York? Oh, waiter. <laughs> so, no, but you do have to follow your heart. And uh, but people ask me all the time, oh, I want to share my chanting with the world. I said, really? Is something wrong with you? Do you have a headache? Should I call a doctor? 
I don't want to share my chanting. I don't want to sink. I don't want to. I don't want to sink in this ocean. I want to stay alive, and chanting keeps me alive. If if I was doing it for somebody else only, like, uh, then it wouldn't work. But I'm cha- I'm, ch- I'm sharing the very practice that I do that keeps me. Uh, up to here in the water. I don't think, I don't think, and I go, I think, and I'm okay. So it's not about wanting anything from this. It's about wanting to find that love that lives within us as who and what we really are, and freeing ourselves from, from our negative emotions and our destructive emotions and the pain and the grief and the betrayal and the fear and the shame and the anger and the greed. These are the things we have to free ourselves from. That's what the chanting is a spiritual practice that will do that. Mm. But you have to be doing it for the right reasons, right. to some degree. True. And obviously doing your own work is doing good work in the world and helping a lot of other people. That just happens by mistake. <laughs> a happy accident, right? A happy yeah. accident. Yeah. Um, final, most important question, Beatles or the Stones? You know... <laughs> It was the Stones when I was coming yeah, up. The Blues, right? Yeah. It's hard one. Then went to the Beatles. I, I, I just don't, I think they're two sides of one coin. Right. You know, you can't really separate them. Right. Changes daily for yeah. me. So. And the Stones changed as years went on, too. You know, they, totally. from doing other people's music, they wrote yes. some of the greatest songs that ever been written. Right. No question. Yeah. Krishna Das, thank, thank you so much for being you. our musicians Great. on the record. Namaste. Namaste. Okay. Thank you so much, Krishna Das, for being on the record today. Amazing guy, uh, traveling the world with his music and his spiritual evolution of going to India and the blending of East and West. Very cool. You know, he's just talking about you know all of these chants that he's doing, but then he's also talking about listening to Nirvana in the car. It was really great to sit and talk with Krishna Das on the record today. What was your favorite part of the interview? Let us know in the comments below, and please subscribe. You can also watch this interview. It lives on our YouTube page, Facebook page, and our website, Musicians on the Record. We'd love to hear from you wherever you're listening from in the world, and let us know which musician story you'd most love to hear. We will try to bring them on the show and get their story for you. If you're enjoying these interviews, thank you so much for being here, and please share them with somebody that you know would love them too. Until next time, we're going to keep it all about the music. Thanks so much for being with us. I'm David Ward for Musicians on the Record.